Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan. And today I am joined by Deb Urban. She is the Senior VP of Promotions at Atlantic Records. And I am so excited to finally have you here. You and I got to cross paths at this beautiful, wonderful event out in Napa, California, Napa Valley, California called Live in the Vineyard. And that is when I first met you. And the radio slash music industry community I feel like people assume it is so big, but I feel like it really is so small once you actually get in it. I feel like everyone knows everybody or knows someone. You know what I mean? Yes, we are a very incestuous uh, industry. (laughs) I totally agree, though, because everyone has worked with somebody. And even in the radio community, you have your region. And so you meet people, then they move or they get promoted. And is it the same way on the record label side, too? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, you, you meet your, your radio guys and they move and you just kind of go with them and everybody kind of grows up together in the industry. So I would love to leave this little teaser ahead for this is coming. And then we're going to rewind first. I wanted Deb to come on because, and she just told me that a phrase she had, which is why I think she's such a rock star, is if you don't have a date by 38, then artificially inseminate, which is definitely something bold and amazing. And I love it. So we're going to get to how we got that. But first, I want to rewind on where you began. So you grew up on the East Coast, correct? I did. I grew up in Columbia, Maryland. How is I don't think I've ever been to Maryland. Is it is it just like a small, a small town feel? Uh, I mean, it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big, uh, it's a pretty big state. It's right outside of Washington, D.C. So um, there are very many commuters from my town um, that, you know, politicians that that lived in Columbia were right in between uh, Baltimore and Washington. Oh, so you had huge cities all around you then? Yes. Yeah. Did that, did you get to go to all those cities growing up? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, we traveled. Uh, my parents took us on vacation every year. We would go to a different place for two weeks. So I had traveled most of the, probably 25 of the 50 states before I graduated high school, um, just because my parents took us everywhere. Now, have you traveled all 50 states now? I believe the only state I haven't been to is Montana. Montana? You've been to Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> oh, I lived in Alaska for three years. My dad was in, Air Force, uh, in the Air Force. So, um, and uh, yes, I have been to Hawaii, yeah. Okay, so that I was just going to ask, with that much travel, I figured there was something fueling that. So your dad was in the Air Force. So did you guys travel a lot or and move a lot? Yeah. So I was uh, born in Missouri. We moved to Alaska. We moved to Rome, New York. We moved to Kansas. Then we moved to Maryland and that's where we settled. But in between that, we visited family in New York and in Florida, um, went up and down the whole Midwest, went to the Dakotas, um, saw the Washington, you know, the, the monuments, the presidential monuments, um, went all the way down to Texas um, and, you know, and east and west points of all of those as well while I was a child. But I did get have a lot of culture back then, you, you know, U.S. culture anyway. So are you and your siblings, there's three of you, are you guys close in age? Yes, within three years apart, all three of us. Uh, yeah, within three years apart, yeah. That's how my sisters and I are. We're all 18 months apart. And so there's three girls. So growing up for me, it was always like a ton of competition, obviously, because you're so close in age. Did you have the same feeling growing up or just, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) 
lots of fighting uh, over who's what's on TV and uh, stealing each other's friends. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. But now, you know, we're we're definitely a lot closer and, um, you know, certainly many, many years later. You know, it's ironic that you say that because when I... Well, obviously, when my husband and I then got married, started having kids, I was so nervous to go past having two kids because I remembered what it was like being one of three. And I always felt like it was two on one just by the odds. Someone was always left out. It was a very rare occasion when all three of us were on the same page. I also think that had to do with the fact that we were three girls. And then right. you say this friend stealing thing. Actually, my best friend now is my sister's best friend that she had growing up. I did not steal her necessarily from my sister. Right. She always <laughs> treated me like the kid sister um, that was only like three years younger. And so so now right. her and I are best friends and she's still somewhat friends with my sister. It's just interesting how those dynamics do still play out a little bit in adulthood. Yes, we all get along. We don't nearly fight over like who got what and what's on TV anymore. Um, right. But having three kids and I remember when we got pregnant with a third, I was like, oh my gosh, is the same thing going to happen? But there's a there's more age separation there. So I'm hoping that the dynamic is a little different. <laughs> Well, I also look at it as you, you look at your experience and you don't want your kid. Even, I mean, I have just, an, I have one daughter, but you look at your experience and, and you, it's kind of like, you know, what, what not to do. You're like, I'm not yes. going to let this happen. So you really make a conscious effort to raise your child the way that you didn't like the way that you were raised or things mm -hmm. were handled from your parents. You know, of course they loved you and did everything that they could and what they thought they knew was right. But, you know, you always have your own way of, you know changing the situation. That's how I feel anyway. I totally agree with you about changing the dynamics. My parents are the most amazing parents in the entire world. But for me, it was the same thing. When I knew I was having three kids, I know there were certain things that I would adjust. And I had a different dynamic in my family, obviously, or my, with my kids, because I had a son and two daughters that were larger apart in age. And I agree with you. I think you kind of, regardless of how you were raised and how good or whatever it was, you do choose your own path as a parent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and, you know, it's also a lot of uh, the, the times are different. Yeah, I was raised in the 70s. So, you know, many, many cultural things have happened since then. Um, but uh, and, and, you know, you know, your parents have, give you unconditional love and do the best that they can. And, and um, you learn so much from it, you know, so you learn, you learn the wonderful things and, the, and you learn how to adjust, like you said, uh, things to your, your nature and to the culture now, you know, so. So as you did move around the country, I mean, now that you've seen probably 49 out of 50, did you have a favorite place when you were growing up or like a, one place more than others? I know you ended up spending the most of the time in Maryland. Did that become the place that felt the most like home to you? Actually, I've been in New York longer than I've been in Maryland, believe it or not. Um, uh, I do have, you know, very strong roots to Maryland and certainly go back um, often as my family is there. Um, my brother actually moved to Colorado, but um, I have some really good friends in Colorado. And I would say that Colorado is my absolute favorite state to be in that in California. But um, it's so beautiful. The mountains are amazing. And um, it's just, you know, it's it's you know, it's got everything. So if I had to say one place, I would say it would be Colorado. That is one place I have never been, which I have a lot more traveling to do in general. Um, but my husband and I were going to go there for our 10th wedding anniversary this last year, but obviously the pandemic hit and we didn't get to go, but everyone's like, Oh, are you going to go to another like all inclusive resort? Are you going to go to the beach or something? And I'm like, I just want to go to Colorado. I mean, I yeah. just think the mountains are just completely so much more beautiful in a different way. 
and so picturesque and I think so romantic. I don't know what it is, but when I think of romance, I think of a snowy mountain cabin in the woods. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think any season in the mountains uh, is wonderful. I usually spend um, Labor Day there um, in Aspen. I haven't been in several years, but that used to be my favorite thing to do. And just um, because it feels like fall. And even though it's not fall in most of the United States, it's starting to get you know, the trees are starting to turn a little bit. It's starting to get a little bit nippy at night. And, you know, you can light a fire and then you go on hikes during the day. Um, you know, that and just you're just so high up in elevation. It's like you're you're with you're with nature and it's just so serene and uh, and relaxing. And just it's a really great place to like reset and reboot before you go back to the normal mayhem. Well, and that's what I think that I also is something that is making me drawn to it. It just seems like a slower pace in a completely different way. And go, like you said, going hiking in the fires and even, and or skiing, whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just yeah. such a more peaceful reset. Like I absolutely love and adore New York City. It is one of my favorite places and I could visit it every weekend and probably not get sick of it. But it's definitely not one of those like calming, peaceful retreats reset. For me, it's all about the energy and the movement in the, well, in a normal season. And that's what draws me to New York City. So on the complete opposite of that, that's why I would like to go out to Colorado, Montana, all of those places. Like, what is it? Big Mountain, not Big Mountain, Big Sky. There's a place in Montana that everyone goes. And I'm like, that's where I need to go to. I know I'm dying to go to Montana as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think everybody, you gotta just have a little bit of fast pace when you want and slow down when you want. And, and uh, either way, it's, it's different from, you know, normal life. And uh, I think both are, are, both are, are acceptable and certainly um, needed, you know, as far as just getting, just getting through life and having the, the cultural experiences. I totally agree. So as you moved around, you guys settled down. And then after you moved out of the house, where did the road take you? It Was it college that drew you in or did the music industry get you? Well, I went to college for a few years and then I um, got an opportunity to be a receptionist at this company that I didn't even know existed. Um, three miles from where I grew up. Um, it was active industry research, which was, um, a a huge, uh, uh, successful company, um, back in the eighties and nineties, um, and early two thousands. Um, uh, it was led by Jonas Cash, who, if you know, the movie Hairspray, he and his wife were the lead dancers, uh, in, um, in uh, the Buddy Dean show, which was what the movie Hairspray was basically based on. So that's how he got his music industry start. Um, And then he became friendly with all of the record labels and started his independent promotion um, company, uh, uh, talking to radio and records and, um, and, and then started air, which was uh, the contest where we would have, um, we would talk to all of our radio stations about new records coming out and they would get to vote on how successful they would be on the chart. And then the programmer that voted the most accurate accurately would win a car. And um, then there'd be prizes after that. But with that, I was able to develop relationships with, um, with some pretty heavy um, radio station programmers and some, uh, and some, some, you know, senior VPs, VPs of, of record labels at that time as being Jonas's assistant um, for several years. And then we opened an office in Los Angeles 
and um, I got into promotion out there. So that's how I started my career. Um, Did you get to then, meet any like budding artists in that time frame when you were with Jonas? When we were at Air in Maryland, Britney Spears, we had so many artists that came by because we were in between DC and um, Baltimore. So when uh, they would do a promo tour and bring their artists by radio stations, they would stop by Air. So I guess uh, for me as an assistant, one of the one of the major things was uh, Tina Turner came by with her team. She was promoting "What's Love Got to Do with It," and <laughs> she came into our office. And um, I recently found a photo with her, and um, we got to hear the song and meet her, and um, it, it was really amazing. Um, Eddie Money came by. Um, you know, a lot of these old classic, classic, classic artists that you know I kind of grew up with, but. Um, you know, Britney Spears came by, you know, at the very beginning of her career. And, you know, back then, again, we, they bring so many artists, you don't know who's going to make it, you don't know who's not going to make it. Um, but, you know, that was a that was a huge highlight, uh, having Britney come by. Um, when I was in Los Angeles, you know, a small little band named NSYNC played yes. um, on the pier in Santa Monica in front of, you know, I don't know, a crowd of 300 to 500 people. And, you know, six months later, they're selling out, you know, arenas and, you know, the rest is history. So those are exciting yeah, things to, to know about in our, in our um, just exciting things that I got to see when I was younger. Something that I saw Coldplay at the Shrine Auditorium when they first got their start in Los Angeles 25 years ago. And it's really exciting because Coldplay was signed to Atlantic about seven or eight years ago. They Atlantic partnership with Parlophone, which is the label Coldplay's on. So I've been able to work with the band for the last seven or eight years. And I, I saw one of their first shows in Los Angeles. So, you know, it's just um, it's, it's been a, it's been an exciting career. Yes. I mean, it's definitely I mean, when you and I first met and everything like that, it is a hundred percent the more glamorous fun side of these industries. And I, I guess I started in radio in 2005 and as an intern. And when I started for, for the next several years, anytime an artist came around to the radio stations doing the radio promo tours, I would always stop and get a picture with them. And there was people that used to mock me like, why do you always want to get a picture with everybody? Because they had already become, I'll just say like jaded in the industry. And I'm mm -hmm. like, because you, never know who the next somebody is going to be. You never know who the next, like Ed Sheeran wandered into our studios in his little hoodie with his ukulele singing yep. No Diggity in the conference room. I mean, I can remember one of my favorite things. It was my 21st birthday and my boss came to me and he's like, I have had this new up and coming artist. Um, her name's Katy Perry. Um, and cause I called her Caddy cause I saw K-A-T-Y and I got really confused. Mm -hmm. And he was like, she's going to host your show with you. And I was like, okay, cool. And that was right before the summer of I kissed a girl came out and stuff like that. And it's just like, there's those moments when you get to, like you said, with whether it's NSYNC or Britney Spears or Coldplay, and then you watch the traje trajectory and you're like, I just had the most strange conversation with them when I was how old and now look at them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's one of the coolest things to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really fun. I mean, Ed Sheeran, you know, got his start uh, at Atlantic um, uh, early, you know, early, early on. He had, he'd had some great like YouTube hits on the A-team and we were, um, you know, just starting the project with him. And he 
had his debut, um, I guess, show in um, the States, he opened up for Snow Patrol. Mm. And his first show was in Orlando. And so, again, like, we, we didn't know how big he was going to be. And and um, so, you know, Andrew was like, go to, you know, why don't you go down to the show? Let's see. We'll see what, you know, watch it, see what, you know, come back, report back, everything. So I go down there. I meet Ed. He gets off the plane with his manager. Um, and uh, and the first thing he wants to do is go to the Universal store and buy a Ron Weasley wand because he's like <laughs> such a Harry Potter fan, you know, at the time. And he's like 19 years old at the time. And he is, you know, no tattoos at all. Um, like a kid in a candy store, but just very, very smart. And um, you can tell he's like an old soul, which is what I've always felt about him. So we go to the show and he um, performs and every single person in that venue knew every word to every song. And I was shocked because um, this is when his first uh, album came out. Plus um, right, right around that time. I don't even think it had been released in the States yet, but um, everyone knew every word. And I was shocked. And so he um, he says, you know, thank you. And he's very good friends with the with obviously the Snow Patrol guys um, has been for years. Uh, he says, thanks. He's like, I'm going to go sign at the merch booth. And, um, you know, and then uh, uh, so I'll see you there. So he goes to sign, you know, to the merch booth. He attempts to go to the merch booth and the entire venue is in line to have Ed signs something for him and he gets bombarded like to the point where he's trapped and we can't even move him anywhere. So there's like a bar with a dumb waiter and we had him jump under the dumb waiter and, you know, kind of disappear. They didn't have enough security. Nobody knew what was going on. Um, and he had to say, Hey, listen, I I'm not going to sign right now. I'm going to wait until snow patrols, you know, show is over and I'll see you guys after the show. Snow patrol performed. They were fantastic after the show. Um, they had a couple of more security guys. They lined up outside. They um, had a table outside and, and he signed probably for two hours and every single person at venue um, wanted to meet him, wanted to have him sign a piece of merch. Uh, and that's how, you know, that's how the tour started with Ed Sheeran in, in the States. It was pretty incredible. I, I'm not shocked by any of that. Those two times that I've been able to be fortunate enough to meet him. And he is hands down one of my favorite artists of all time was the radio station was the first time, but then that was when he was, I want to, was he opening up for Taylor Swift? Yes, he did open up for Taylor Swift. Okay. Um, so well. yeah. I think that was the first time he came through Louisville is that he opened mm -hmm. for Taylor and that's why he came by the station. And then I remember people coming back from the Taylor show saying even that like Ed stole the show in a good way. Um, and then four years later, I know one of your other, your regional guys, Howard, he was like, I was going backstage to do an interview with him. And he remembered that I was pregnant the last time I had seen him. Cause I was like very pregnant. And he's like, weren't you expecting the last time I saw you? And I'm like, how did you know that? Like, no one could have prepped you for this question. And he just has like a memory. That's a, that's a trap. I again, have no idea how he remembered such information. And he was the most genuine, my favorite interview I've ever done with anyone and watching that show. I mean, he's, I'm glad to hear that he's been like that from the beginning. He just has something about him, even though he seems like I, just the guy with getting his Harry Potter wand or his Ron Weasley wand <laughs> and wearing his hoodies and just being his own band. I mean, he's just that guy. And it's so amazing to see that. 
yeah, he is. Um, yeah, he's pretty incredible. And he does have an amazing memory. And he does always check in, you know, certainly I've worked with him, you know, throughout. So, um, but every time, you know, how's Rosalind? How's, you know, how's, how's life? How, you know, and, and he's, he remains grounded. And obviously now he has a, a child of his own, which, uh, you know, is, um, is fantastic. So I can't wait to see him this round as well. So I know I'm, I'm super excited. It's like, if I could name people that I wanted singles from in 2021, I was like, I need Ed Sheeran back. I need Bruno Mars back. Um, (laughs) these are my people. (laughs) Yeah. I need their tunage. So you've gotten to have it. So many amazing chances, obviously with your career, but it's a very demanding career. And I imagine that like you traveled a lot growing up, but I mean, based on the nature of your industry, you had to continue traveling. And I think that's a, both a perk, but also you're living out of a suitcase probably a lot too. Yeah. I mean, I have it down to a science, uh, especially now as a, as a, as a mother, I really don't I try not to be on the road more than two nights at a time. So, you know, I've got my bag, I got it ready. I'm ready to go. I mean, I'm, I'm probably the fastest, you know, traveler through an airport, even with my kid now, she knows how to just get through a security lines, you know? Um, so it, it definitely has its perks. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's hard when there's delays and, and, uh, and I can't get home when I, when I need to, but I don't, I don't mind it. Maybe it's because I grew up, you know, moving my whole life. I really, I really don't mind it so much. Um, it, you know, it's just, I guess, part of my life. Did you find that when you first started in the record industry, that it was hard on your personal life to like just the demands of your job and whether it's the travel or the weekends, the nights and stuff like that, was that hard? You know, it's interesting. I think in this business, it becomes your personal life yeah. because it's, it's, you're having fun, you know, while you're working and you're meeting new people and you have a great team that you work with is that you enjoy spending time with. And then you're like, Oh yeah, I guess I really should like spend time finding, you know, my, my, my partner for life or something, but it's, you know, and especially when you're out so much during the, you know, during the weekends that have, that you have shows or during the week, you come home and you're like, okay, I just, I need to just veg on the couch. Like I'm not going out. Like, so I think that kind of, it it made it, it's probably not a conscious thing that happens, but yeah, you do realize, which, I mean, it happened to me. I did realize that, okay, well, if I'm, I can't just sit here on the couch on my time off and, and, or else I'm never going to find somebody, you know? Um, so I think that was kind of part of, uh, part of my issue and kind of part of my path to, to that led me to being a single mom. So when you, we started this and we were going to bring it up, again, which we are now, you yeah. s- you had a deadline in mind for you because you knew you m- being a mom was always on the table, but you had your own personal, I'm going to call it a catchphrase for lack of a better word. <laughs> and what was that catchphrase? Um, it was find a date at 38 or artificially inseminate. Um, I, I uh, you know, again, as you said, I'm, I'd always wanted to be a mom and, you know, I'm getting into my, my mid thirties and, you know, I, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I, I hadn't found, you know, the one, um, I, I had had several long-term relationships in my early twenties. Um, and I think this was just me, you know, with my career venturing out and being, just being dead and living my best life. And then, um, so I just, you know, I just hadn't found, ha- found the one, but my clock was ticking. And so I just, that was my, that was my motto. Find a date at 38 or artificially inseminate. So at what age did you decide to put this into action? 
action? Was it actually 38 or did you realize, you know what, we're just going to, I'm just going to do this now. Um, you know, I started to talk to my, my GYN who we, you know, he's like my best friend doctor because he's like <laughs> been through this journey with me and he's like, well, you know, you should probably get your FSH checked. And then I said, 37 was basically when I started talking about it. Um, and then, you know, 38, I kind of started going through the process of, uh, you know, of, um, of, I asked, I had to find a donor, um, and, uh, and, and then just kind of figure out how, you know, just kind of start the process. And I didn't really realize how difficult it would be. So I, I kind of went through this on my own. I didn't really share it with a lot of people. Um, uh, because I had done a couple of, um, treatments like IUIs. Is that what they yeah. Yeah, 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 IUIs. And they, yeah, IUIs. And they had, see, I, it's been so long. Um, and they hadn't, um, and they hadn't taken. So I was just, you know, kind of getting nervous. So I just really didn't share it with anybody. So it was my own personal journey that I was doing by myself. Cause, um, you know, the first IUIs, and then you talk to somebody like, well, how'd it go? And then, you know, you have this disappointment that you're not pregnant. And you're like, okay, like I just can't have these people saying, well, every time. So I just kind of went through that journey, journey myself. So, so, what was it like for you starting this journey on your own? I mean, were you scared, nervous, or was it just said, this is what I know that I've always wanted type of situation? It was what I knew I always wanted. It was, it was a something that I had felt, uh, I, I'm trying to find the right wording. I had an, an, an epiphany or a higher power in my body to say, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to, to have a child. Um, and um, this is strength that just came over me to just make it happen. And um, I wasn't afraid. I really wasn't afraid. I didn't worry about raising a kid on my own. I, for some reason, maybe that was just something that I hadn't even thought of until after I physically got pregnant, but I just kind of did it in phases. And the first thing was, was just my determination to get pregnant. And, um, and you know, and then I, I went from there. So what was the reaction once you started showing and telling people and letting people in on what was going on? So, um, and it's funny. I, um, I, you know, they tell you not to get the, take the pregnancy test until a couple of, you know, months until you, but I took it anyway. And it kept getting darker and darker. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. And then I kept calling the doctor and they're like, you know, um, the, the numbers are doubling, they're tripling. And it was so exciting. So, um, but I waited until, um, I was probably three months pregnant to tell anybody and I wasn't showing yet. Um, I told my parent, my family first, I just kind of showed my mom the sonogram and my grandmother and my sister at the same time. Um, Cause I'd had a conversation with my mom and she's like, you know, old school, you know, I don't know, that's not how it works. I don't know if you can handle it. And then I just was like, okay, I'm not speaking to you about it again <laughs> until I'm pregnant. And of course the reaction when I showed them my sonogram was just my sister, especially was like, Oh my God. And my mom and my, my grandmother was very confused, but very happy nonetheless as well. So, um, uh, but the interesting thing that I, um, am really like empowers me and I, and, and I think should empower other women is I, um, I went to my boss and I said, Hey, I got to talk to you. And she was like, um, she's like, okay. And I said, I, I'm pregnant. I got pregnant on my own. And she was like, Oh wow, that's so exciting. And so I told the president of our company, Julie Greenwald, and she, um, she was just so amazing. She's like, you know what, Deb? She's like, I think this is so amazing. 
You know, I she's I keep telling two other women in our office that, you know, you, you know, you can get a man anytime and your clock is ticking and you don't need a man to have a baby. And like if you want it, just do it. So go into these two women's offices right now and tell them that you're pregnant on your own and that, you know, that you did this and this is amazing. And, and so I did, I went into those two women's offices. I told them, I spoke to them about it. And both of them are now single moms as well. Are they really? Yep. Oh, I have goosebumps. And one of them is a very good friend of mine and she has an eight year old and, and, uh, and, and our kids play together. So it's, um, and it's really, and it's really wonderful. And whether they would have done it on their own, you know, without my encouragement, I think just to have that opportunity to have that conversation and to go through that experience and, um, and at least influence a decision. Um, you know, I just, I, I just feel like really, I feel really amazing about that. Um, so. Well, I do think you're shedding light on something. One, it's amazing that your bosses, and again, for the, for the women in your company to be in their positions and be empowering to you about that and be so supportive is huge and wonderful and says it speaks volumes. But I think for so many people, of course, they're afraid to do it on their own or they assume that there's only one way, but it doesn't have to be that way. It's still your choice to be able to go do that. And you did it. So I think if those women just, they needed to hear one positive success story and you were that person that walked into their office and said, guess what? You can do this. I mean, what an impact. I mean, a life-changing moment for each of them. And that's, that's why I wanted to talk to you about this because I was like, I, when I found out about that, I was like, that is truly wonderful. You knew you wanted that for you and you weren't going to give that up just because there wasn't a, a man in the picture. Um, and now you have a wonderful daughter. And now I, I, the one question I've asked, are have you been completely open with her? Has she ever asked? And is it just more of like a, a scientific conversation? Yeah, she uh, she knows everything we've spoken um, uh, since she was born. She is she knows that she just has a mom and that I had um, I had a um, a donor, you know, um, help me, you know, have her that she you know she doesn't have a father. It's not a father. It's just someone that, she, you know, we don't we don't talk about it a lot anymore because she did ask a lot of questions um, when she was in first grade. She told a lot of her friends that she didn't have a dad and they were like, yes, you do. And so she, so when she had her, uh, I guess the first grade birthday party, um, at school, I brought our little baby book and I let everybody know. I said, yeah, our family is just Rosalind and I, and I had her on my own and here's some pictures. And, you know, we have a small family, but we're, you know, very happy. And, um, and our life is wonderful. And, um, and she asked me to actually say that in front of her friends because they were, you know, just concerned. How could you not have a dad? So it's been, um, she's, she, to me, handles everything very gracefully. And I think it's just because I've always been open with her on everything. So if anybody asks her any questions or she has the right answers to say, and and she'll come to me if she's feeling a little bit um, awkward about anything and we'll talk it through. But for the most part, it's not, it's a non-issue. Well, and that's kind of what I was thinking in that situation. I feel like you just have to, like, it's one of those things that is out there from the beginning because it's natural for a kid to ask in, in general, which is why you just have to tell them. And then I can only imagine she's probably sick of being like, when she meets new people, no, I don't have it. Uh, this yeah. is what happened. Blah, 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 blah. My mom's this amazing woman and uh, we're good. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the good thing is there's so many unique families, you know, single moms. Um, she, she knows where you need. She knows 
our family dynamic is different. And and she we respect and and um, for our friends with all different family dynamics. And that's something that I wanted to make sure um, that it was part of our life that we're not different than any other. And uh, I love that. And I imagine the other, I mean, something else for you growing up in New York City up until the last year, you were raising her in New York City, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. What's it? What's that like? I mean, I, I again, you know, I'm obsessed with New York City, and I only come there <laughs> on the weekends sometimes or for work. But I can imagine the one time I was walking through the Tribeca area, and I saw all these parents. It was like right before school started, and they're just walking down the streets, pushing their strollers. The kids have their little backpacks, and I was just like, "This is so far removed from like what how I grew up." And I can't imagine like the kids growing up like that. It's so cool. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she's a city girl. She's always, she's always been, um, she just, she's in a stroller. She, we have, we have our favorite diner. We have our favorite little ice cream place. Um, we, we walk to school. Um, we jump in cabs. We take the subway. We, I try really hard to get her to go to museums. She doesn't love it. Um, I've taken her to theater. Um, you know, it's like, that's my mother's day present or my birthday present. I get to go to a museum. Um, (laughs) so, um, yeah, we go to theater and she plays on the playground. We go to central park, you know, she's, this is just part of our, our community and our culture. I guess the only difference is we don't, you know, we don't drive really much anywhere. Um, and, uh, and, but when we do, you know, we go on vacation. I, we, we definitely vacation a lot. So she's, she's been able to experience a lot of different cultures outside of the city as well, but yeah, she's definitely city girl. So how is, how have things changed for you here in the last about 18 months, obviously with the pandemic, cause you were living in New York city and obviously traveling for your job and the music industry centering around concerts and new releases, everything shifted for everyone, but how did it specifically affect you, your job, your family? Um, the city was scary at the beginning of pandemic. Um, obviously, there were sadly so so many lives lost um, at it so quickly, and um, I I just got lucky enough to come out and it, and you know coming to this house just kind of fell in my lap. Um, but we've been pretty isolated since then. Um, we have a very small group of friends that we see you know very very seldomly. Um, She's been remote learning uh, downstairs and I'm working upstairs. It's been really hard to make sure that, you know, we're not on the same calls at the same time or don't need each other at the same time. Um, uh, I actually have a tutor to help her with school because um, I can't really help her a lot when I'm working. So that's I mean, someone she's known forever um, just to make sure that she's on par and she is, I just want to make sure that she's not missing out, you know, with the, um, physical being, you know, in, in physically being into the building, but, um, we've kind of gotten a rhythm, you know, um, over the summer, I was able to send her to a YMCA camp locally. So that was a good thing. But, um, we, the, the blessing is that we do get to spend a lot of time together and, um, we take walks. We got a pandemic puppy and we get to take him for walks all the time. We'll take like, you know, a break in the middle of the day and go take him for a walk and hold hands. And she'll tell me about her 
day. Um, she's definitely engrossed in Minecraft uh, with her friends. So every night at five o'clock, she has a one and a half hour Minecraft session with her friends. So she gets to keep that social aspect um, of her life, although she doesn't really physically see them a lot. Um, and uh, I introduced her to friends maybe a little too early, but it was something <laughs> that I enjoy. And so now we both like like watching Friends. We watched the entire season, you know, ten seasons of Friends together when she was like started when she was nine years old. So would I have let her do that when she was, you know, when we were having a normal social life? Probably not. But you know, it's not. So she's grown up a lot as well. Learned a lot, probably more than I really maybe would have allowed her to under normal circumstances. Um, but again, I'm honest and open with her about pandemic. We talk a lot about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd. Um, and we are, you know, we, we talk a lot about politics. Um, so she's my, she's like a kind of becoming a little grown up, you know? You know, I, I think a lot of us in the last year, you figured out a, a survival mode. And sometimes that survival mm -hmm. mode included um, too much video time or um, adding additional family members, whether they're furry friends or baby friends, um, mm -hmm. moving outside of cities. I've had two different friends of mine that were in New York, like in the heart of the city. One was a famous drag queen. The other one was a makeup artist. Both of them bought houses, sight unseen, completely far removed from the city and just got away. Um, I, like you, have kept... I'll call it my, we call it the bubble. It's like, who's in our bubble? And we have select family members and friends that have been in the bubble the whole time. And that's kind of who we've um, really grabbed onto in the last year. And it's been hard because of course it's a huge change. And then you get, I think we were all in denial, like, oh, this will be over in a few weeks. This will be over in a month. I don't think anyone would have ever predicted what's 14 months later that we'd even be where we are now. I mean, it's a lot better than it was a year ago right now. Um, but my kids, they also play with their cousins and friends on Minecraft and stuff like that. They're the same thing. My son loves Minecraft. He's wearing a mm -hmm. Minecraft shirt right now. And I realized, okay, this is like their little social hour. And I have social media and email and they have Minecraft or whatever it may be. And um, it's amazing to see how kids have changed right alongside the adults. Mm -hmm. And it's experience a pandemic with them. I've, I've started to notice little things with them that I can tell have affected them that I'm like, okay, we're going to need to work on this one, whether it's being scared of strangers or doing certain things or not wanting to be ever away from me. There are some things I'm really starting to recognize now a year later. Yeah. My daughter is, does not like to go anywhere. She's very afraid of COVID and the pandemic. She doesn't want to be in a crowd anywhere. That was part of the problem when we were going back to the city. And even in last, last fall and last, um, yeah, last fall, um, that it, we were walking outside and there were too many people with masks. She, she would have a panic attack. And so, um, we, we just kind of, you know, we just didn't go, we just didn't go back, you know, because it, it was just really, really difficult. And that's something that she's never, you know, she lives she's a city girl. She's used to crowds. It, it's the, um, the effect of, of the pandemic and what it is and seeing all of these people, you know, suffer um, that has really made her afraid, you know? Yes. And that's what and I don't I've know noticed. if that's going to be, sorry. And I don't know if that's going to be something that she continues when I say everything's okay. We're all vaccinated. You don't have to wear a mask. She, she may still harbor those feelings. I, I don't know. I hope that that's not the case, but it may take a while for her to overcome that. 
Um, I think that the, the same thing with my kids is happening too. Um, I've noticed like the other night I left briefly, I literally went to go get a spray tan before Derby and I told the kids like, I'm leaving, I'm going to get a spray tan. And, but it was in the evening and I usually don't leave it all in the evenings. And when I came back, they were questioning me, even though I told them where I was, they're like, mom, why did you leave? Why did you leave? And then the next morning they were like, we can't believe you left last night. And I was like, I was gone for like 40 minutes to get a spray tan, but they're just so used to me being home so much that especially my daughter, I mean, if, if I say having a sleepover at her grandparents' house, she's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. She like needs to be near me all the time yeah. or at least know that I'm somewhere nearby. Otherwise I have to give them full explanations as to where I'm going, what I'm doing. I mean, we went to go do something the other day and I had told my son, I was like, you don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. Like, because we were in the middle of nowhere, like nature by ourselves. And he just, he was is so trained to just grab his mask, put on his mask, be ready to go, blah, 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 blah. And it's just, it is going to take time. I know yeah. that the first time they were invited to a birthday party and I deemed it okay because the situation was controlled. There was a group of people taking a picture and I said, do you guys want to get in the picture? And they were like, no, they don't have their masks on. We don't know all of those people. We don't want to go over there. And I was like, that's a good answer. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, we've actually started to stop. We, we like, we would have the news on or something. Um, and they were like, can you please stop turning on the news? Like the news is scaring us. Can you please yeah. stop turning that on? Same and so here. we've had this, yeah. and it's just, it's crazy. Cause you like race over to the TV. Cause I'm like, I don't want you to see this or hear this, or we'll be talking about vaccines. And they're like, can you stop talking about COVID? And I, I don't realize, oh, they are paying attention to everything I say. Yeah. She, I find that she repeats things that I say when she's talking to her friends. And I'm like, oh, you heard that? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I guess I better just watch what I say. Um, but yeah, she plays soccer. And, you know, when they're on the field, they are not required to wear masks, but she prefers it. You know, she she likes the paper masks because if she gets sweaty, she can like throw them away as opposed to the cloth mask which she wears normally. But when she plays soccer, she's like she will not take her mask off. She just that's what she prefers. And it's, it's her prerogative, but, um, you know, it's not even required anymore. Um, so anyway, for, as far as, um, what I hope for our future, uh, she's going to go to sleep away camp this summer for four weeks. Um, it was canceled last year. So I, I hope that that kind of gives her a little bit of a reset. She can, you know, mingle with some friends old and new and her cousins as well who go to the camp. Um, and then it'll also maybe take her a little bit away from or a lot away from uh, Minecraft. They are not allowed to have screens at all. That's been, you know, definitely a bone of contention for me. Even last night, it was like screen time was over at 730. And then I find her at 845 talking to her friend online. I'm like, what happened? And she's like, oh, well, she texted me. I'm like, but you're not supposed to look at your phone after 730. Like, just get off the phone. And she's, you know, so it's just hard to, to manage all of that. So. Oh, it's a lot. I mean, <laughs> um, it's, I notice my kids, it's like, in, cause I work from home. So sometimes when they get home from school, that's like, we have time out the baby's napping. They just got home from school. So they get on their screens when they get home so that they're still quiet while the baby naps. It's when I catch up the most on work, I try not to take meetings during nap time so I can stop talking. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's like you're in so many meetings getting more work, but you have no time to do the work because you're still in a meeting. Yep. It's a vicious little cycle. Yep. <laughs> so 
I always have like my afternoon reset and then we all try to just stop and we all try to regroup at the dinner table. My son the other day was like, mom, my favorite time of the day is when we all sit around the dinner table. And I was like, that's exactly how it should be. And I want that. But then of course, in the evenings, they're like, they want to, they love watching TV before bed and they want to be able to have their sleep timers on. But I mean, they'll get on me now. They'll be like, mom, you told us to get off videos. Why are you on your phone? And I'm like, oh, you're old enough to call me out. My kid does that too. And I'm like, I am on my phone and I am working. And then she's like, well, I just saw you on Facebook. I'm like, well, um, yeah, but it's like my release too. Like I, I don't answer to you, like, I, I know. You know. <laughs> but then they do have a point. It's like, maybe I should like, she does, maybe she does have a point. Maybe I should just like, uh, stop, you know, just, just try to not be on my screen as well. It's probably a healthier way for me anyway, to just kind of let go for a minute. They are funny though, because they will say, you told me to get off videos. Why are you on videos? Why are you on the phone? Why are you taking calls? And I'm so now I try to be a little bit more conscious. They can tell the difference when I'm like actually on a call. But I I said something to my husband the other day, because I saw him out with his phone out at the kitchen table. And I was like, no, this is, um, that we can't have those things out at the table. Like that's just the one time it needs to be completely screen free, at least yeah. for, for everyone. Um, but it's, it is one of those things. Cause I agree with you. Sometimes I'm catching up and I'm talking to a friend or messaging someone I've been trying to get a hold of all day. So it is, it is hard to justify, but in their minds, they are right. And it's like, no, you need to pay attention. I mean, heck the other day I went to go glance at my phone while I was driving and my daughter's like, that's illegal. You need oh, to put no, your phone down. That and I was like, hilarious. okay, <laughs> you're right. Kids, I'm a terrible mother. Yeah. Our kids need to get together, Sarah, because it's <laughs> like, this, that's exact. I hear that all the time. It's like, what? I'm just trying to see the map. I'm trying to. Exactly. You know, it's like, it's, it's funny. You're not supposed to be looking at your phone. I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> I know. Or I'm like, I'm at a stoplight. We're in a complete yeah, standstill. Exactly. Like yeah. they get on me. It is so funny. I, my, yeah. my kids are wonderful. They definitely keep me on my toes. And, um, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that you and your daughter are doing well, that you are experiencing upstate now instead of the, the city yeah. life. But I'm hoping that in the next, I don't know, maybe year, that our paths will cross again as travel oh, resumes. I hope so too. Yeah. But I, I'm so glad that we got to talk. I think your story is so empowering to other women to know that you can do it on your own. There are ways and it is completely okay. And it is amazing. And at the end of it, you have another little human in the world. And I love I that. I will just say if, if your desire is to become a mother, you know, don't be afraid, go for it. And you definitely will have challenges, certainly when there are babies, but the support system that, you know, I, I didn't even know I had with friends and family. Um, you'll be surprised at how many people will just encourage and be there for you. And uh, don't let fear be a reason to not, you know, be a mother, which to, is the most amazing job, you know, in the world. So that would be how I would leave it. Sarah is just to, to all women and definitely happy to speak to anybody about anybody's journey if they're if they're you know uh if they're wanting deb thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today i truly appreciate you and look up to you and you're just wonderful thank you sarah thank you so much for the opportunity to tell my story i really appreciate it and um i do hope we get to see each other in person very soon